Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Are you buying something that you're going to renovate and bring the value up through forced appreciation through sweat equity? Are you finding a piece of vacant land and developing something on there that's going to produce a preferred rate of return to an investor? And if so, what is that return? Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I'm pleased and honored to be introducing you to Trevor McGregor. You recognize his name. He's been on the show multiple times. Just search Trevor McGregor, Joe Fairless, and you'll hear his interviews that I did with him. And he has a lot of value during those interviews. Well, he's had a lot of value in my life. For the last five years, I have hired him to be a consultant to help me with my real estate business and just personal stuff too as a life slash business coach. And he's taken my game to a different level. Before I hired him, I had four single family homes and oh, by the way, I was also single. Fast forward to today, my company controls over $300 million worth of real estate and I am happily, happily married. Clearly results are going to vary, but he has helped me in five years do things that I didn't even have on my radar. So I suggest that you speak to Trevor McGregor if you're looking to take your real estate investing business to the next level. If you've had success and are looking to build on that success, then he's your guy. Go to trevormcgregor.com or coachwithtrevor.com. And you'll be able to apply for a conversation with him, coachwithtrevor.com. We used to do a free consultation. We got too many free consultations, and he actually is pretty full with his consulting program, and he's very conscientious about the value that he adds. He wants to add tremendous value, so he's being very selective with the people who he does work with. So go to coachwithtrevor.com and apply to have a conversation with him, and then you two can decide if it makes sense to work together or not and hire him as a consultant. It has impacted my life in a tremendously positive way. Him and his wife have gone to my wedding. Trevor's been to my conference a couple years, and I know him well, and I suggest that you get to know him as well. Coachwithtrevor.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Lee Arnold, how you doing, Lee? I'm doing fantastic, Joe. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. And well, best ever listeners, first and foremost, I hope you're having a best ever weekend. And because it is Sunday, we got a special segment for you, Skillset Sunday, where we're going to talk to you or I'm going to ask questions and our guest Lee Arnold will talk to you about the skill of raising capital so that you can hone this skill and either acquire it or hone it if you don't have that skill yet. Lee has raised more than approximately $400 million in equity for deals they're working on. He's working on a $50 million development deal right now and also more as an equity broker lender to fund other investor, individual investors' deals. If you want to hear his best ever advice, then go to episode 1009. And it's titled, Need Money for Your Deals, Talk to This Guy, exclamation mark, episode 1009. So today we're going to be specifically and strictly focused on the skill of raising capital. So Lee, how shall we begin? Well, the skill of raising capital, Joe, I have found over the years that one of the greatest errors that investors who are looking for any sum of capital make is they go in search of capital long before they ever have identified the investment opportunity. And it's contrary to what we've been taught because conventional wisdom says if you need to borrow money, you first go down to the bank and you see how much you can qualify for. And then based on your credit score, your income, past experience, then they give you some number and then you go out and you shop for something that fits within that criteria. Well, those rules only exist for the end user owner occupant that doesn't subscribe to your show and doesn't have access to the tools that say that all of that is completely false. To raise capital efficiently, you first have to identify what is the opportunity, as in, are you buying something that you're going to renovate and bring the value up through forced appreciation through sweat equity? Are you finding a piece of vacant land and developing something on there that's going to produce a preferred rate of return to an investor? And if so, what is that return? And you do your financial modeling, you do your acquisition costs, you do your rehab costs, you do your time costs so that there's an understanding of return on investment of capital. Once you've identified all of those numbers and put them together, now you go out seeking funding. Because one of my favorite quotes in business is, money is attracted to opportunity, not people. And the mistake that investors make, and this is true whether you've been investing for six months or 60 years, the mistake that most investors make is they seek capital too early before they've identified the opportunity, because money's not interested in people. People make terrible investments, they skip town, they don't communicate, they die. Whereas when my money is secure to get in first lien position against real property, and I have a deeded ownership interest in that asset, no matter what happens to the person, my money is safe and my money is secure, and that's what money is attracted to. So to successfully raise capital, you have to be concerned with What is your investor going to get on their money? So there's one question that investors care more about than anything else. Do you any idea what the question is, Joe? Well, what are the risks involved? Okay. What are the risks? Any other questions you can think of that an investor might ask? So let me put this in perspective for you, Joe. Let's say that I come to you and I say, Joe, I need to borrow $500,000. Do you have any questions for me? Yes, I would ask what is the business plan and what is my money secured by what type of asset what type of experience do you have doing what you are projecting you're going to do what risks do you believe are associated to the project 
those are some of the top things I can think of. Okay, good. And all of your responses, Joe, are based on what you know to be true as an investor. And they're all the same questions that I would ask if I was the investor presenting this project to a potential investor, the person that's going to write that check. But after 20 years of raising capital and putting deals together, the question that all investors want to know above and beyond any other question is, what is my return of investment? It's not return on investment. And too many investors lead with, if I want to go out and raise 500000 my lead in, Joe, is going to be something, hey, Joe, if you give me a half million dollars, I'll give you first lien position on this piece of property. I'm going to give you an 8% return or a 12% return. But for the sophisticated, savvy investor, the person that can write a check for 5 to $10 million, the number one thing they are concerned with is, how are you going to give them their money back? So as you're building your presentation deck, or it's called a pitch deck in the business, as you're putting this deck together to explain the investment, to explain the opportunity, the upside, the return, slide number one needs to be, investors, you're going to give me a half million bucks, and this is how I'm going to give you your money back. This is when I'm going to give your money back. And this is the return you're going to get as a result of allowing me to utilize those funds for X periods of months or years. So return of investment is the one thing that every investor misses in their presentation. So exit strategy is everything. So you mentioned at the top of the call, this $50 million development that we're working on. I broke this up. So I bought a 13 acre parcel. I'm breaking it up. It's all zone commercial and it's going to have on the 13 acres, a 50,000 square foot storage facility, a 200 unit apartment building, a 64 room hotel, and two 10,000 square foot commercial pads. So everything involved in this is tied to this development. Mm -hmm. Now, the first thing that we're going to develop is the storage facility. Mm -hmm. So what is the return on the investor's money? Well, we build it. And then we go out and we get a 504 loan, which is a storage unit loan that only requires 15% participation from the developer. So as I'm putting my deck together to raise the $2.5 million necessary to build this out, I'm showing my investors, look, here's the blueprints, here's the plan, here's the timeline, here's the return, and here's the takeout financing. And I'm going to show them a pre-approval letter already from the lender that's doing the takeout and showing them that we've got 15% liquidity, so the takeout of that loan is going to be no problem. Now, on the apartment building, FHA has got an amazing program now for large multi-unit, usually two to 300 unit apartments. FHA has an amazing loan takeout program. So the entire emphasis of the presentation is going to be based on the takeout financing. First and foremost, before we show them the performa, before we show them the rent rolls, before we show them the appreciation based on desirability and demand for that marketplace, we're going to show them how they're getting their money back. And if the listeners here will make it a point to always emphasize return of capital, they're going to have a much easier time raising money. Basically, you've got to talk a little bit about the business plan at the beginning, though, because then you've got context for how you'll return the capital, right? Right. But that comes in a very short one-page synopsis. That's slide number one. So when you go in front of a group of investors, you're going to say, investors, I'm here today in search of $10 million. I will utilize your funds for 36 months and I will return it in 36 months based on this takeout financing, 
this private family home office is financing the finalized construction or this bank is taking you out. Now, with that said, let me tell you about the project. Mm. See, the minute you settle their nerves about how you're going to give them their money back, they suddenly just kind of relax and sit back and listen to the presentation. But if you don't tell them early how you intend to give them their money back, they are on pins and needles through your entire presentation. And when you get done, the first investor that raises their hand to ask a question is going to ask, how are you paying us back? Yep. And they didn't hear a thing you said for your 20-minute <laughs> pitch. Yep. Very true. Very true. Capital preservation and return of capital is most important. What if you're not doing a development deal and it's just, let's say, a fix and flip? I guess it's just really straightforward. I'm doing a fix and flip and I am going to sell to exit you out. So I guess it's pretty simple, I yeah. guess, in that scenario. And I'll explain it this way, because as you know, with Kogo Capital, which is our lending entity, we lend hundreds of millions of dollars and we write thousands of loans. And what's interesting is when somebody comes to our website and says they want to borrow money, and let's say that it's a simple little three-bedroom, two-bath house in the Midwest, the after-repaired value on it is 120, they're buying it for 50, they're going to put 20 into it, so they want to borrow $70,000. Okay, that seems like a really great deal. Now, they can check one of two boxes. If you look at our application, it says, how are you going to pay us back? If they check the, I'm going to sell it box, all I look at is the comparables for the neighborhood. I'm going to look at what they've got versus what the surrounding inventories are, what the inventory counts are, and what is the likelihood or probability that they can indeed sell this house for the 120 price that they're telling me it's worth. And within five minutes, I can tell you whether or not they're going to get the loan. Now, if they check the box, I'm going to pay you back by refinancing. Okay, this brings up a whole new can of worms because if they're going to refinance, now I suddenly have to be concerned with their credit score, how much money they have in the bank, whether or not they have a job, whether or not they've been filing their taxes, if they're self-employed and have been showing zero income on their tax returns to avoid paying taxes. There is no way in the world they're ever going to be able to refinance that thing and I'm going to deny their loan. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying make false representations, but I will say it this way. If you are somebody who is relatively new to the investment space, and you have not done a responsible job of managing your paper resume, and what I mean by that is you don't show any income on your taxes, you aren't current on your tax filings, you have multiple bank accounts and you run money through all of them. So there's no one bank account that has any sizable inflow or outflow of. Do not buy property to hold where your exit strategy is long-term financing. Mm -hmm. Because everything about that loan is tied to you, the individual. So better for that particular listener to focus on buying and flipping or buying and wholesaling or just putting things under contract in wholesaling, the goal we have for our customers is we want you to fix and flip until you got at least a quarter of a million dollars in liquid capital. Once you got a quarter of a million dollars in liquid capital, the opportunities are wide open to you because now you can show somebody that you are who you say you are and you will accomplish what you say what you will accomplish. Mm-hmm. Money has a strange way of validating people. As in, if you've got money, you must know what you're doing. Now, you and I both know that that's not always true, 
but this is how most banks look at you. If you can show money and income and tax returns that say you generate revenue, you're going to get funding. If you can't show those things from a paper perspective, then focus and build a business that is cash flow heavy, that is quick in and out turns where you're going to maximize your capital so that you then can go in and attract cheaper capital to yourself. Because at the end of the day, it's not the investor that can find the best deal that's going to win because there's too many investors in the marketplace. There's too much competition. So in most markets, you're having to pay pretty close to premium pricing to get some of these investment properties, especially if you're going after low value apartment building, 12, 24, 36 units. There is such an appetite and demand for those types of properties that you're going to pay close to retail. Mm-hmm. The only way you can make those facilities pencil is if you can attract cheap, cheap capital. And by cheap capital, I'm saying prime plus one or lower. Any private investor out there, whether it be a hedge fund or a family home office, is looking for prime plus five, prime plus six, prime plus seven. So you've got to make sure that you're structuring your financial portfolio in such a way that you can eventually attract bank financing, cheap, cheap financing. Otherwise, you're always going to have to give away a dramatic portion of the equity in the deal to attract capital, and now you're working to get half the profit. And on the exit strategy front, just to come back to that real quick, it's a thought process that I highly recommend every passive investor go through, and that is what is the exit that is being proposed to me And what are the ways that that couldn't work, which is what you did when you talked about the refinance, because that opens up a whole other can of worms versus being able to sell at whatever they're projecting it will sell based on market comps. So when you introduce the refinance option, then you listed out a whole bunch of stuff that could go wrong, or at least you'd have to qualify. So that's a necessary question that every investor should ask whenever they're approached about investing in something is what is the exit and then what are the ways that that couldn't work? That's exactly right. And it's important regardless of what the current status of the listener here today is. I don't care if you're a first-time investor or as I mentioned, you've been investing a long time. The goal of every investor is to eventually become a lender. I just got out of a meeting with one of our private equity fund investors And I asked him if he was actively buying, fixing, and selling real estate. He says, no, Lee, I'm like two years away from death. I don't want to hassle with all of that. He goes, all I want to do is put my money into loans and lend it to the guys that want to go out and actively fix and flip real estate. Mm -hmm. Because he's at that stage where he's just looking for that passive income where he can rely on a pretty consistent 7 to 12% return on equity. And that's where all investors ultimately are looking to go to. So as you look at the bell curve, you start out as an investor, you don't have a clue what you're doing, your credit's terrible, you're living paycheck to paycheck, and all you have is a dream and a drive. So you start to acquire, you start buying, fixing, and flipping. You start amassing cash flow. Now you start buying apartment buildings and commercial buildings and generating massive cash flow. As you come to the other side of that bell curve, you're going to realize that even though I've got property managers in place and all this stuff, I don't want to deal with the taxes and the depreciation and all of the liability and the insurance that comes with owning these assets. I'm going to sell them off. I'm going to get all of my net worth in cash, and I'm going to put it somewhere where I can get a pretty safe, steady rate of return. 
Mm-hmm. You got to know what stage your investor is at when you're approaching them for that capital, because not always does it make sense to ask somebody to give you money. It might make more sense to ask them to partner with you in a transaction. A lot of times that will come to the surface too. They'll say, yeah, I'm not really interested in this, but how about jumping on the GP side and partnering up or doing a joint venture, right? Absolutely. And it really depends on that investor's appetite. So it was interesting in the meeting I was just in because he was there with his son, who's now in his probably early 50s. And his son is very actively engaged in development, buying, fixing, selling, owning rental property. But his dad has absolutely zero interest. So it's just interesting to kind of see the difference as maturity brings to desirability about investing and what you have an appetite for. Mm -hmm. This is slightly off topic for raising capital, but I am curious because you brought it up on that 13 acre parcel. I was trying to write down it as quick as you're saying it. You said you're doing hotel, commercial pads, self-storage. Can you just list out the order in which you're doing each of those and the reason why you're doing them in that order? Absolutely. We are starting with the storage facility simply because the cost of construction is $45 a foot. The cost of construction on the apartment building is $175 to $200 a foot. So the capital outlay to build apartments is significantly higher than the capital outlay to build the storage facility. So the reason to build the storage facility first is we can get the property cash flowing much more quickly on the storage facility than we can on the apartment community. Okay. So that's the reason. The demand for storage is high. It's off of a major highway. We've got good frontage, good visibility from people storing stuff we will then create a demographic or a constituency, if you will, that would be most likely tailored to apartment living. As people are moving out of homes or downsizing or upsizing and they're putting things into storage, we then want to attract them to the apartment community. So the land is significantly more valuable and more stable When we can go to an investor on the dirt showing that we already have income being generated from the storage facility when we go after the capital for the apartment community. So to put it into perspective a different way, the cost of construction on the storage facility is $2.5 million. That's 50,000 square feet of storage, which will produce $50,000 to $60,000 a month in revenue. The cost of construction on the apartment building is $35 million. So... Always pursue the easier money first, because once you start getting traction and momentum on the development, everything else gets exponentially simpler. So the storage facility is going on the back of the lot. The apartment community is going in the middle of the lot. That will come second in the build out. The third piece to go in will be the motel or the hotel, because that now attracts dollars from out of town which then now we will build out the first commercial pad, which is a 10,000 square foot building. It'll have five 2,000 square foot units where now we can attract merchants that would cater both to an apartment living community as well as a hotel occupancy community. And that's the logic behind why and how we're building this out. Great stuff. Thank you for walking us through that. This has been very informative as always, and I'm grateful that you're on the show again. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you, Lee? 
The best place to reach me is at kogocapital.com, C-O-G-O, kogocapital.com. Sweet. Well, thank you again for being on the show from a raising money standpoint for our deals. The focus, as it should be, is on what is the return of the investment. I believe Warren Buffett talks about that pretty much every other successful investor. (laughs) And then the exit strategy, if we're passively investing in deals, please pay close attention to the exit strategy. And then the focus is on what are the ways that couldn't work and how is the risk being mitigated? There's risk in any investment. So what are the ways the risk is being mitigated and are you comfortable with that? And then also talking us through the development sequence of a large project. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. If you want to hire the guy who I hire to help me with my real estate investing business, then go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's coachwithtrevor.com. The Invest This podcast interviews the elite in real estate investment to uncover the secrets to building an empire in every aspect of real estate investment. Visit investthispodcast.com that's i-n-v-e-s-t-t-h-i-s-p-o-d-c-a-s-t dot com for the top 10 real estate books to build your empire and to learn more